Storm the court. Storm the court. I don't know if we're going to have that very much longer in our college sports, but um, I got to tell you, I've done it a couple of times. Never had any issues. Nobody's ever had to tackle me. Never had to tackle anybody else, PC. I don't know about your court storming experiences, but that might be soon coming to an end. Or will it? Is this just one of those hyperbolic things that we experience from time to time in sports, or is this going to be a real significant change in our college sports landscape? 713-572-4610. That was a topic today as uh, basketball analyst Jay Billis weighed in on that, and this, of course, after the Wake Forest and Duke game over the weekend. Wake Forest beat then number 8 Duke. Uh, 83 to 79. That was Saturday afternoon. At the final buzzer, Wake Forest fans stormed the court, and Duke big man Kyle Filipowski was just simply in the way. Uh, he was injured during the celebration, hurt his right leg. I guess it collided with a fan. I couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman that he'd collided with, but whomever that human being was, if you have not seen that video, Go watch the video. That individual went flying like 15, 20 feet down the court. It was kind of funny at the time. Hope that person's okay. Uh, Filipowski, I guess, lucky that it wasn't worse. He was helped off the court as best as possible as thousands stormed. It was like ants. I mean, bam, they were just like right on top of it. But Jay Billis weighed in on this argument on whether or not fans should or should not be allowed to rush the court in the future says the NCAA could fix the problem now if they wanted to take a listen and but the truth is nothing's going to change now we're going to talk about it and it's going to go away and nothing's going to change and if they wanted to stop it they could stop it tomorrow uh the the, the administrators will tell you that uh security experts tell them that it's not it's not a good idea to try to stop the court storming that that could cause more problems than it would solve but you don't have to stop the court storming one time, all you have to do is once they're on the court, don't let them off. Just just say you're all detained and give them all citations or arrest them if you want to. And then court stormings will stop the next day. Um, there's no accountability for this. It, it, the fans feel like it's an entitlement and the universities like it. And the truth is we like it. Now, one last thing on this. That was it. That was, was the one last thing. Nazi. <laughs> We're going to detain and arrest 10,000 people? Come on. Dude, nuke yourself. <laughs> right right after he said they could do something about it. That's where the the logic ended and the ass hattery started. Okay, we're just going to detain and cite and and give people tickets and and we're going to arrest them. Dude, I hope you get freaking elephantitis the rectum. All right, you're an idiot. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what? It's so mean. The the truth is they could do something about it. And it's not as drastic as, you know, jackasses like, you know, Jay Jackass Billis here wants to, you know, throw everybody in the clink for it. As if there's as if they've got enough room. I mean, what are they where where is the local jail that's holding all these people? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not like the old days, you know, when you actually had a huge jail cell underneath the stadiums, like the vet in Philadelphia, they had a big jail. They had a judge downstairs in the stadium mm-hmm. and bang, guilty, sit in the tank, bang in the tank, bang in the tank. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't they don't have that at basketball arenas. There's no jail cell that holds 10,000 people under the freaking arena floor. I think he's saying, though, that, you know, you arrest a few, you make an example. Like, I feel like. They'd been doing that already in the past. Like, 
I've been a part of it. I, the last time that I stormed a field was early, maybe mid-2000s Cougar football game. I think they had just beaten Mississippi State for the CUSA title, and we stormed the field. But as I'm storming the field, I'm looking around me, and there are giant security staff, like, grabbing people and tackling people. So they try to stop as many as you possibly can. But if you're going to make a quote-unquote example of these individuals, it hasn't worked in decades. People do it. There are, in some cases, no policy by the institution for this. And I think I'm correct in this. Wake Forest in and of itself had no policy for this. There's no not not going to say protocol, but there's no language in anything that they have that says you can't do it, and if you do it, this is what's going to happen. No, and they don't want to stop you from doing it, right? It's a time-honored tradition. Because that's the one sports. thing that I feel like you and I both agree with Jay Billis on that he'd said in that clip, we like it. We like watching it. We like doing it. And if the NCAA was going to do anything, here was my first thought, and then you can tell me if I'm a Travis Shamakery like you think Jay Billis is. But my first thought is, if you're the NCAA and you want to do your best to kind of not stop this, but make it safer, the only thing that I could think of is in a basketball situation or a football situation, game over, you make sure that you tell the fans as best as possible from the PA multiple times during the game, pregame, just before it happens, let the players clear the field, let the players clear the court, and then you can do this. Here's the problem with that. The whole idea of storming a court or storming a field after a massive, dramatic victory is you want to celebrate with the players, with the coaches, with the team. That's the whole allure that's what I thought. Except and, they don't want to celebrate with you. They well, they, they don't. They want to get back to the locker room. They don't want to get run over by you drunken idiots. Sure, certainly the losers, right? The losers want to get off the court. The losers want to get off the field. But, you know, I mean, it's it was a party. Like, when I've been a part of it, I mean, it was an absolute party. And, and we were high five and hugging and this, that, and the other thing. And, look, I, I maybe some winners... Some teams, some individuals would feel differently. Maybe they don't want to be caught up in all that. Fine, I get that. But if you did that, to me, over time, that would be the only way it would ever really quote-unquote stop or be significantly hampered to a degree in which it would be deemed safer. And and look, I actually agree with you on that, right? To me, uh, you know, you coach your fans, jump up and down, yell, scream, holler as the game's over. And once the coaches and players and officials have gotten off the court and into the locker room, go be your merry idiot selves on the court. Go jump around, have fun. All right, the players do not want you. The coaches do not want you. The officials sure as hell do not want you. Nobody wants you. Everybody storming the court is a student or a drunk ass. There are no, quote, normal fans who are rushing out onto the court. They're not. Students rush the court. Drunk asses rush the court. Regular fans, they stay in their damn seat and they freaking leave. Well, that's what they do. I, I was neither a student or drunk when I jumped onto the field the last time. Were you close to a student? Was I close to a were student? You, were you not far removed? From oh, we were sitting like... 
No, in were the, you not far removed from being a student? How far? I, how, how, how far away were you graduation? I might have been 32, 33. I don't know. Check the last time the Cougars won the uh, conference title. And, and, in and football. you were and you were sober. Yeah, uh, for the most part, yeah. Uh, see, for the most part, lends me to believe. I wasn't. Maybe, maybe I wasn't not. drunk. Like, look, I mean, look. I had I had a couple of drinks and I was, uh, you know, vibing. I was feeling good and said, "Hey, you know what the idea was? I was with my wife, and the last and first time that we did it was our senior year in college, uh, or it might have been just after we graduated. It was. I think it was '06 when we won the CUSA title. Are you looking that up? Uh, I am I am looking it up actually. Yeah, look up uh, division titles, Conference USA West, two thousand six. That was my senior year. Uh, played Southern Miss. Southern Miss. There you go. Okay, and uh, what was the most recent? Most recent. Yeah. Uh, won the American in twenty eighteen. No, you got to go before that. Uh, twenty fifteen with Tom Herman. Yeah, that was twenty fifteen. Temple. That was it. Yep, that was it. Twenty fifteen. How old was I? Thirty three. Do you frown upon this? You degenerate. <laughs> you degenerate. Go <laughs> Look, I'm my point, Get a foam finger. My, <laughs> my point in all that was is while I might be a degenerate, while I might be just an absolute anomaly, was that was an anomaly. Like it happens. And there are a lot of people that do that that don't have ill intent. And I don't think the person that ran into Filipowski the other day had any ill intent. Um, I, the Caitlin Clark situation from a few weeks ago where she was running off the court, not looking where she was going, happened to run off onto a loner that was the last, you know, Johnny come lately to the storm, uh, to the rush. But again, you shouldn't have to, to be, you know, basically the human version of mob control. You play that on your phone, uh, play the human version of mob control with your freaking life as an athlete. I, All right. If clearly schools do not have the security staffs to prevent people from running. So you need to coach them. Mm -hmm. Let them get off the field, you friggin' idiots. Here's the thing. Put it up on the Jumbotron with two minutes to go. You know, every time there's a every time there's a stop, because in the last two minutes there's 47 stops. All right, every time there's a stop, wait until all players and coaches have have gone to the locker room, have left the court before you storm. Coach them. Coach them to do it. And you can do it. Here's the problem. You know, we cross sport reference all the time. You know what? It's not just the other team's players that can get hurt. Your guys can get hurt. Sure. And how much of an idiot are you going to feel like when you, drunken loser, go rushing out onto the court and say, barrel over Jamal Shedd who slams his head on the court, and now he's got a concussion and he's out for the next three weeks. Don't put that out there. Don't be that dummy. But it could happen. You ever been to an international soccer also, game? Cougs are good enough; they should not be storming the court for anybody. Well, in basketball, that's what I was telling. That's what I was telling Byron. You know, when's the last time you've seen a Kansas, a Villanova, a Kentucky? You know, Houston's in that era now, in, in that class now. Rather, they're not storming the court. You know, it's the teams that do something that weren't supposed to do it that storm the court, right? I'd been plenty of opportunities where the Cougs had hosted Kentucky or whoever over or the Western years. Western Kentucky. Not Western Kentucky. <laughs> they would be in the class that would storm a court. Yes. But, um, you know, where we, we there was a plan. We were going to do it, and they they lost. You know, so we didn't get a chance to do it. But I digress. Cross-sport referencing, how many international soccer games have you been to or watched? Like, that is an actual thing. 
you know, where I got a chance to do uh, PA for like Guatemala and Panama at uh, BBVA Compass Stadium. Now it's Shell Energy Stadium. Uh, last soccer season. That I, I, I was ready to go home, and they were like, no, you got to stay just in case things get hairy, and we need you to make a few announcements. And I said, announcements for what? And they said, well, people run onto the field. And I said, they said, it's great, but, you know, it can be a serious thing. And I said, okay, let me sit back and watch this. We counted like two dozen people, kids, all ages, doesn't matter, like just running onto the court and hugging a soccer player, trying to almost tackle soccer players to get a picture or a selfie or just talk to them, whatever the case may be. You know what the soccer players are doing? Some of them are embracing it. Some of them are posing for pictures, doing selfies with them. Nobody's really running away from these people. And that's kind of that soccer culture, I think. But it's not at all really college basketball or college football, at least in the minds of the people that want this eradicated. That's because we don't have, you know, we we haven't allowed, quote, soccer hooliganism to permeate our sports. I was at... um, International match, Mexican League match at, what is it, BBVA, Shell, or whatever it is. Shell Energy Stadium now. It was Tigres against Monterey. Mm -hmm. Nobody stormed the court, but I was so impressed by the different style of fan where they got bands that take up the entire end zone. Oh, man, yeah, it's a great environment. Like two hours before the game, they're banging on the drums, they're blowing the horns, they're singing and they're chanting, and it doesn't end. Through the entire first half, through halftime, through the second half, mm-hmm. an hour after the game, they just keep going. I'm like, that's stamina. Yeah, man. They, there are no... Stamina and alcohol. There are no three-pump chumps in that group because <laughs> they got stamina. I'm like, I'm like, all right, at some point, your arms start to hurt from banging the drum five hours, right? Or blowing that horn relentlessly. The Vuvuzela? Are you like... <sighs> Like, like, how do you, how do you keep your breath for five freaking hours? They got a rotation, they got strategic. Dude, it was it was impressive. They, they got it down. I was also at a Mexican national game at NRG. Mm-hmm. That was a rowdy crowd, and and an alcohol fueled rowdy crowd. Uh, but nobody ran on the stadium. <laughs> yeah, nobody ran on the field. Text message from the seven one three. You're right. Kansas doesn't storm the court, which is why Ron Hugley is the old get off my lawn guy and says they shouldn't do it at all. Well, what was funny about the post-game commentary after that Wake Forest Duke game, it was Duke had had it was Duke's head coach that said this needs to stop. They need to find a way to, you know, knock this off. Well, the Wake Forest guy agreed. Uh whoever their coach was, he agreed with them. And so it's not just as simple as like the teams that wouldn't do it, that don't do it, that haven't done it in decades have this stance and the ones like Wake Forest or your Western Kentuckys or, you know, your just average teams out there, the ones that have fan bases that would do it and can't wait to do it every chance they get, have the other stance. When somebody gets hurt and it's a prominent player, you know, that kind of muddies the water. Seven one three five seven two four six ten. if you'd like to weigh in. Do you remember the old video? Mm-hmm. It's Yankees. Uh, they, they win in 77. And the fans storm the field at Yankee Stadium. And Reggie Jackson is literally like human Frogger 
dodging people as he's trying to get into sure, uh, the dugout. And Reggie Jackson is a gigantic man in yeah. his playing days. Yeah. And regular fans are running at him, and he's just like hitting him with the eyes, and boom, get out of the way. Boom, get out of the way. Yeah, so, well, you remember the old Hank Aaron video when he hit uh, his People know, running on him, they're like hugging him and patting him on the back, and he's like, all right, guys. He's like, get out of here. I got to touch the bases. <laughs> yeah, he's like, get out of my way. Now you run onto a baseball field, and, you know, you get the law and order. Dun, dun. Yeah, you're going to get tased. You're going to get tackled. You're going to go away and never get to go to a Major League Baseball game again. Coming up next, it's time for Hot Leads. We've got Cougs, Texans, and Tags. That's next. These are the new leads. Now, look, I need the leads. These are the Glenn Gary leads. Two lead cards for tonight, two lead cards for tomorrow. Why give him the good leads? He's got the leads. He's got the leads. He's got the good leads. The whole thing is the leads. They stole the Glengarry leads. Let's talk about something important. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. Time for Hot Leads on Area 45. I'm Sean Bajani. He's Patrick Creighton. Byron Matthews producing, doing a great job. First up on Hot Leads, I told you I had good news from the Texans. Uh, the court saga surrounding the guardianship case over Texans owner Janice McNair has come to an end. It is no more. It has been tossed out, forfeited. Carrie McNair, the eldest son of Janice McNair, who started the whole stink, filing a lawsuit for guardianship over her and her estate last November in a Harris County probate court, agreed to drop the lawsuit against her. That, according to a court filing obtained by the Houston Chronicle, Uh, Earlier today, all parties involved filed jointly to drop the case, including Janice McNair's sons, grandkids, and the whole bit, the entire company and those in which they represent. Carrie's attorney, Jeremy Felding, said in a statement, "The the case would have had no effect on the ownership of the Texans, adding that the majority is, quote, owned by family trusts controlled by the entire McNair family. Continued in the statement saying, quote, rather than continue this litigation, however, at his suggestion, the family has made the joint decision to address these issues privately. Kerry brought this case in an attempt to get an independent third party to serve as guardian to protect his mother. Not so that Kerry could control her estate as his brother Cal has incorrectly suggested, end quote. Uh, they might disagree on what the exact end game was going to be or what Kerry was trying to get accomplished. But the most important thing, it is gone. It is uh, going to be solved, presumably, privately. So good news for the Texans and Texan fans. I still need Cal McNair to basically like invite <laughs> Carrie over, hit him in the gut, yell, Hannah! Get the tables! <laughs> and then power bomb him through a flaming table and yell, Texans Mafia! And hit some DX chops. <laughs> I love it. I'm love it. I'm here for that. <laughs> Up next on Hot Leads. Two. Houston Cougars men's basketball have the nation's top spot. Cougs moved to number one for the first time this season. Uh, in the latest poll released earlier today, climbing one spot to end a six-week stay of reigning national champion UConn. The Cougs held on to beat Baylor over the weekend in overtime, 82-76. to 
Cougs now the fifth team to hold the top spot in the country this season. Uh, Samson's Cougars spent seven weeks as number one last year. They've got four regular seasons game, four regular season games left this season. You got Cincinnati tomorrow, then Oklahoma, UCF, and you finish the regular season uh, against Kansas. That's going to be the tough, tough, tough one. Uh, before you get to Big 12 Conference play and then March Madness ensues. Got this text during the break from uh, Ocho. SB, you concerned that UH has habitually been outcoached and outplayed in the second half of large percentage of their games. Even when they win, it feels like they've been exposed. Signed, Ocho. I do not agree with them being outcoached. A little um, harsh there. I think it's very harsh. Does Sampson make some mistakes, maybe particularly later in games in the second half, i.e. Baylor? Um, Yeah, maybe, but I would say that it's to a large degree a lack of execution on the players. Um, They settled for way too many threes against Baylor in the second half instead of putting their head down and attacking the basket and keeping the pressure on, in my mind. Uh, Their free throw shooting which has been sketch at times this season. It's kind of saved their ass the last few games, if we're being honest. Their ability to get to the basket and make free throws, that's what saved them, and I feel like they don't do it near enough uh, when teams are putting the pressure on them. They settle for too many outside shots. So, look, there's no perfect team, but I'll tell you what. This year, differing from last year, the Cougs, they've lost to Iowa State. Then they got revenge against Iowa State. They lost to Kansas. They're going to be seeking revenge against Kansas. Played a tough Baylor team that pushed them to the brink after blowing a 16-point halftime lead. If there's any one team, aside from UConn, which has balled the hell out this season but then got blasted this weekend uh, by it was, no, it was last Friday, wasn't it? And they lose to... Yeah, UConn uh, got banged by Creighton. Creighton, and then, that's and then who it was. the next game, Creighton got banged. Yeah, and that's college basketball. The Cougs, legitimately, whether they're one or two, are one of the two best teams this regular season in all of college basketball, and they've proved it. Doing what, they're, what they've done, still got a few more games left, but doing what they've done in their first year in the Big 12, are you kidding me? Do not succumb to the number one curse. Hey, we're number one. Let's go out and lay an egg. Let's not do that, Cougs. Let's not do that. Uh, Let's yeah. go out there and win basketball games and not go, oh, we're number one. We don't have to. Oh, crap, we lost. Yeah, you know, they didn't do it last year, and I think that's always people's fear. Um, They're good, it's well-deserved, and I would not forecast that sort of mental, um, you know, loss. I know the the Cougs go through these stretches where the offense bogs down, they don't score for several minutes at a time. Look at the way they play, right? They are a team that focuses on defense and hustle and grit. Guys who are elite high school scorers, they're not coming here because they have to play defense, and they don't want to play defense. They want to shoot threes. So the guys who come to UH are two-way players, are guys who are not afraid to hustle, to to get dirty, to get some uh, from floor burn, right? Guys who are going to get after it every day. They're not the best offensive players. They're good offensive players, but they're not great. You're going to have periods like that, and you got to rely on your defense to carry you when you go cold. That's who they have been under Kelvin Sampson. That's not going to change. I mean, and who was, I mean, who, who was the best offensive player they've had 
uh, in Kelvin Sampson's run here. I mean, Rob Gray was really good. He's playing overseas. Man, yeah, Jerome was really good. Um, you know, Nate was really good. Uh, he's the back. Quentin Grimes was good. He's, you know, trying to get. Did the, you say Rob Gray? Yeah, Rob yeah. Gray's playing overseas. I mean, you know, here's the way that they play, too. You talk about grit and the toughness, the physicality, all that good stuff. They out physical a lot of teams, and that win the other day against Iowa State gave, and I think it should have given a lot of people confidence for what lies ahead uh, come conf- uh, tournament time. But Jamal Shedd, you know, he might lay back. He's kind of like a snake. When they need a tough bucket, he's going to come get it. When they need a tough, when they need to stop, he's going to come get it. When they need to make a play, he's going to come get it. And they have a lot of dudes, not just him. He tends to be the guy, uh, usually at the end of ball games and during tough stretches. But Jawan Roberts is every bit that guy as well down low. So I, I like their total team makeup uh, going into uh, conference. Um, and then tournament time for March Madness. It's going to be a fun one, man, and I feel just as good as I have in each of the last four seasons. They've been on this uh, great run for them to uh, get to a national title game and see what they can do, let the chips fall where they may. Next up on Hot Leads. Three. Tag time. Bengals did it today to wide receiver T. Higgins. You can take his name off the board. Tag for him is just over $21 million, 21.8. In fact, the July 15th, uh, is the deadline for the two sides to come to an agreement on a long-term deal. If not, he'll be tagged. Uh, Second-round pick in 2020, which put up some hell of numbers. First four seasons with the uh, Bengals, 257 catches, just over 3,600 yards, 24 touchdowns. Postseason numbers pretty nice as well for him. Here's the thing, Jamar Chase entering into the final year of his rookie contract uh, this season as well. Good problems to have. You just paid Joe Burrow. You're tagging T. Higgins. Maybe they think they can work a deal out with him. I know if I'm the Bengals, I'm doing everything in my power possible to get him and Jamar Chase to sign on long-term and have that trio of Burrow, Higgins, and Chase as a uh, mainstay. If if you're the Bengals, you put the tag on them, you got to figure they're, they've got to be open to the idea of trading him. Problem is, anybody who trades for him also has to pay. Are you are you willing to say you know let's just are you willing to wait the year because you don't want to you don't want to give up draft assets plus have to write a huge check to a guy who look on any other team is probably a number one receiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if if that's uh, you know a, a, it's a deal breaker for me, right? If I'm if I'm a GM, I'm not giving up draft picks and than writing a big check for a while. I mean, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. If you're the Texans, PFF had their ratings of like top 10 receivers. You know who graded out number two? Who? Nico Collins. Beautiful. And I think Tank graded out in the top 15. Nice. And he missed, you know, a portion of the season. So the Texans, according to Pro Football Focus, have two of the top 15 receivers in the league. Yeah. I don't need to give up draft picks. I'll, just, I'll spend the money. I'm not giving up draft picks. Yeah. No, that's... uh, When you have two guys like this, though, it's anomalous. You know, maybe it turns out that way for the Texans and Nico Collins and Tank Dell. For the Cincinnati Bengals, though, you got Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. I mean, how, how often do you get two number one wide receivers on a team that you drafted with 
a franchise quarterback, I'd be tempted to not pay both of them for a long, long time to keep that trio together. I mean, those are good problems to have. No, and, and realistically, this is going to be the last year that those two, that, that trio is together if they go through this year. I'm the Bengals, man. I'm doing everything in my power to not let that be the case. Because you got to pay T. Higgins, and you got to pay Jamar Chase, and you're paying... Like, I know that the cap goes up every year. Yeah. But you're not going to pay most teams. In fact, I don't think any teams want to pay two guys like number one receivers. They'll they'll bail out of it. So, to them, let's go draft another receiver and pair him with Jamar Chase. Yeah, yeah. They also got a, you know, a running back who's not getting any younger in Joe Mixon. Fair, but... You can go get a running back, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit, especially if you enter into an offseason like the one the Texans are in right now. We'll get to it next. That's going to do it for Hot Leads. Coming up, are the Texans and Saquon Barkley heating up even more? And talking about running backs, what running backs will not be playing tag this offseason? We'll talk about that next at Sports Radio 610. Here we go, Area 45. I'm Sean Bajani. He's Patrick Creighton. 713-572-4610, If you'd like to be a part of the show, you can call or text. What is, we're looking at dogs during the break. What is that dog you that's, just showed me? That's a Siberian. Siberian Husky? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a pretty dog. See, he's got the blue eyes. Yeah. Blue eyes, a Siberian Husky. Trait. Yeah, man, that is a perfect looking dog. Doing a little doggy shopping during the break. It's a, it's a red Husky. Yeah. Are you in the market? Are you just... Are you at that stage where you're just like, you're looking, but so you're not really looking? Here's where I am with uh-huh. this. I have a dog who just turned eight. She is still very young and very athletic and very energetic, and she's she's great. But I want to get her a buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, now that you know my responsibilities here have me out the door at 730 in the morning and home at 11 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. um, I'm looking to get her. A buddy. It's yeah. a long day to be home by yourself. Now, my daughter gets home around 3.30, you know, and then my wife gets home right about 4 o'clock. Yeah, but still, that's a long time. Yeah, you're so right. So she's home by herself from 7.30 in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon, which is not a problem for her. Like, it's not like she can't hold it that long or whatnot. She's just sitting around the house moping around not doing anything. Yeah. I wanted to have a buddy. So I would like to get a second dog. My daughter would love to have a second dog. My son, who's out of the house nine months out of the year because he's away at school, would love to have a second dog. <laughs> of course he would. He doesn't have to take care of it. There is, However, there is one overriding vote that is saying no. Not, who, who could that be? That would be the person who wears the house on a ring. <laughs> uh, I haven't heard that. <laughs> she uh, she has been the, the no dog person. And unfortunately, when we take... Uh, when when the board of directors passes its votes, she holds a fifty one percent share. Yeah, so she outwrote votes the the three of us. Uh huh. Um, and we all know the one person that you do not want unhappy in the house is the mama bear. Yeah, the one that wears and the we house will on the all ring. Oh, be miserable. <laughs> I am. Uh, I can relate to mama bear uh, because I am mama bear in that regard in my household. I do not want another dog. Can't do it, at least in the puppy stage, and that's the battle that we fight. My I, wife I want wants a pup, another, and I don't want a pup. I can't do it. I want another dog. And listen, if it's, I'd love it if it's a puppy because I prefer oh. to train the dog myself, mm. which I could do over the summer. Um, you ambitious, you. Well, you know what? Actually, I taught my wife how to train a dog. 
and she trained the one we have now. Uh-huh. And she's there you great. Go. There you go. So my wife can even train her. I was going to say, pass those summer. duties off. Um, which is fine because the dog is going to be her protector anyway. I mean, that's this one is. Yeah. So, well, what kind of protect? Because you were showing me some protectors that might fit in the palm of your hand. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> we were looking at different dogs that are, uh, you know, have recently been posted It'd at be Fort subjective, Bend Animal PC. Shelter. <laughs> Fort Bend Animal Shelter has so many beautiful dogs that they are just so desperate to get uh, adopted because they're they're overflowing. I think their capacity is like 100 dogs and they have like 200. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they've got so many. I was showing them a picture of Olive, who's a two-year-old black lab, and purebred because there's no other coloring, right? When, when a lab is a mixed breed, they get the white stripe that runs down the middle of their belly. Yeah. It's called the St. John's Water Dog coloring. Uh, the St. John's Water Dog is, a, is an ancestor of, of, the, of the Labrador. But you're dropping the dog knowledge oh, on me I'm, right now. Listen, I, you know, my family, we used to I know you frequent the uh, Westminster Dog Show. Let me tell you, I, I always watch the dog show. Who doesn't? It's always on. And when my kids were little, I think my son was like five, my daughter was two, yeah. they were very interested in the dog show because A, they like to tell me which were the boy dogs and they like to tell me why. <laughs> I wonder why. Dad, that's a boy dog. Look at his. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah. of them are very prevalent. <laughs> Some of them are. Some of those dogs are large. And I don't uh. just mean... Height and weight, they're large. Yeah. So, I did not know we were going to get into uh, dog knowledge here this so evening. So I had shown... Only uh, on Area 45. Showing a, uh, a Papillon mix. Uh, I showed him a Siberian Husky, which one Red was, Siberian. Which one was Pierre? Pierre was the Papillon mix, the little go. guy. That is the one that I would not deem a uh, future protector. No, of the, no, uh, he's an ankle biter. Um, <laughs> you know what? When you have a little dog, you pair him with a big dog because the little dog is the doorbell uh-huh. and he wakes up the big dog to go... In yeah, business. <laughs> you, you know the the ankle biters they hear everything. All right, let me try to segue here from um, from ankle biters to we'll go dog tags to franchise tags. <laughs> <laughs> Seamless. Look at that. Uh, let's get into uh, this convo because I saw this report earlier today. Franchise tags reportedly very unlikely for free agent running backs, uh, and it's it, the headliners on on this article was. Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs, all right? I guess two of the biggest, but basically within this piece, it named every free agent running back, <laughs> presumably that will hit free agency come March 11th. So Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Cowboys uh, running back Tony Pollard, Derrick Henry expected to explore free agency and not be tagged along with Austin Eckler from the Chargers. Anybody and everybody we've been discussing pretty much, uh, not likely to be tagged, but you know we'll wait and see and find out for sure. Uh, in the coming days. Well, the important part of this is the reporting all says Saquon is not getting tagged. Yeah, not getting tagged. Which is great because he's following damn near every Houston Texan on the planet. And to fill in the blanks a little bit on that was uh, KPRC's Aaron Wilson, who covers the Texans for Channel 2. Uh, He reported that uh, Barkley, as you mentioned, and C.J. Stroud uh, have spoken and it's been communicated uh, by Stroud and other higher-profile Texans. I Laramie believe Tunsil. Nico Collins was one. <laughs> Tank Dell was probably another. Laramie Tunsil made his very public the other day uh, that Barkley would like to play here. Now, Tunsil, not talking Saquon Barkley publicly, but he did tweet out, what was that, Friday? Uh, the Xavier Howard tweet 
Uh, I think he'd put Howard times Stingley. Yes. Uh, with the uh, emoji of smoke coming out the nose. I, we like that one. And that kind of brings me to this in that um, it seems like anything that Laramie Tunsil can get behind uh, would be a good thing and generally happens. Anything that C.J. Stroud uh, gets behind is generally a good thing and has happened. You wanted Tank Dell? You got Tank Dell. It was good. Uh, C.J. Stroud was, uh, you know, Laramie Tunsil was Stroud's biggest fan. QB1, right? Like, literally in the May. week after. Yeah, <laughs> the May. draft. Uh, get him in there. He's going to be the dude throwing the footballs for us this season. It happened, and it was good. So, a small track record, but a proven track record nonetheless. I'm liking it. You know, Saquon's not the only guy following Houston Texans around. Josh Jacobs following a few Texans on uh, his Instagram. And nobody else out there that, you know, would be looking for an upgraded running back this offseason. I haven't seen any Titans, any Giants, any Chargers, any any other teams followed by those individuals. So it sounds pretty good. It's not Saquon or Bust, though, according to Aaron Wilson. In fact, the Texans are still very much with the idea that they could run it back with Devin Singletary. I'm kind of thinking about this, PC. I don't think Singletary's back at all if they go Jacobs or Barkley. I think Singletary's back only if they don't get any running back on the open market and they run it back with Singletary and Pierce. Um, running it back with Singletary and Pierce should be a non-start. Period. The end. And that is not to knock Singletary. It's more of a knock on Damian Pierce, right? It's, because you can't, you don't trust it. You haven't seen it. I, I can't have Damian Pierce as my number two right now because he didn't. He 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 broke everybody's faith last year. Devin Singletary to me is not good enough to be your real one. This is why their run game was. Gonna play ass or no ass? Okay, <laughs> it was ass. They need ass. they they need a, a somebody who is better than Devin. I think Devin Singletary is a great number two back, but they need a one. And whether that one is is Saquon Barkley, I'd really like it to be Saquon Barkley. By the way, uh, whether that's Josh Jacobs, I would not be upset if it was Josh Jacobs. Just gonna say, all right, I wouldn't be upset there. I don't think you'd be upset if it was Barkley, Jacobs, or Eckler. Like if you're oh, being Eckler honest. would definitely be third on the list because Eckler is to me is a better pass catcher than a runner, mm-hmm. and to me they need somebody who can run. They need somebody who is physical enough to run between the tackles, fast enough to get outside when they need to. That's Barkley. Somebody who is an excellent pass catcher. That's Barkley. I mean, that sounds a lot, awful lot like Josh Jacobs. Josh as well. Jacobs can can get between the tackles. He's got yeah. speed. I don't think he's as good a receiver as Barkley is. I don't know that there's a lot of guys outside of Christian McCaffrey who are as good receivers. Barkley. I'm thinking if you had Josh Jacobs and Damian Pierce in the backfield, that would be one of the most hateful running duos be angry. in the NFL. Angry runs. Yes. Angry runs. And I just, I, I can't get that out of my mind. And the people that are Barkley or bust, I mean, I get it. Look, how often do you get an opportunity to get a guy like Saquon Barkley who, if, and it seems like a huge if the Giants did decide to tag him. I think his tag number is just over $12 million. 
Um, according to Adam Schefter, those two sides are going to talk when it is time for them to talk about doing a deal. But Adam Schefter also said that it's not likely the Giants would tag Barkley. So that makes us around here a little bit more excited. But I just I, I think it's hard to kick any of these guys out because of what you just have endured. Literally, I mean, for years, Patrick, I, tell me the last real running back you felt like you could hang your hat on and say, you know what, that's our dude. Like, we can roll with that guy. They, and I don't want to hear about no damn Carlos Hyde. Look, there's one dude who's been that guy for as long as I've been here. Uh-huh. AF? Yeah, Arian Foster. And that's long AF ago. That, that's the dude. You know what I'm saying? It was Arian Foster. In fact, I don't know that there was ever anybody before Arian Foster that you could say for a prolonged period of time he was the dude. No, they never had anybody prolonged. It was, you know, Steve Slayton for a minute it was um, Dominic Williams, Dominic Davis for a minute until he changed his name. <laughs> uh, you know, there's one guy like it was the fellow that they got from Miami, uh, Miller, a few years back. Yeah, Lamar Miller was okay. But for an extended period of time when your team was really good, it just hasn't ever lined up. Arian Foster's the best example, and that's long as hell ago. And it, you have an opportunity to where if these reports turn out to be true and they're all going to be available come March 11th on the free agent market, none of them are going to be tagged. You're going to have your pick of the litter. And if there's mutual interest, Barkley wants to come here. Maybe Josh, J- who doesn't want to come here? Get used to that. Who doesn't want to come play for the new up and coming Houston Texans and CJ freaking Stroud and have an offensive coordinator that was, you know, one of the most popular candidates to be interviewed for a head coaching position this offseason. Who doesn't want that? Get used to that. And also get used to this. Having your pick of the litter. When you can move on from Rex Burkhead and Devin Singletary. And I don't even mean to put him in the same class, but I mean, come on. He's not tier one. You can go get you a tier one guy right now, today, when it's March 11th. I'm loving it. You know what? Saquon is making it very clear he wants to play for the Texans. Does that mean he's willing to sign a deal without grabbing every single last possible dollar? The Texans have money, and they can sign them. They've got multiple needs they need to sign. Uh, To me, John Grenard should be number one on the list of guys that need to be here. You can't tell me, A, uh, defensive line, defensive front is a priority, and you also can't explain to me, hey, we drafted a guy in the third round a few years ago yeah. because we want, we belong, we believed we could coach him and develop him and turn him into a big time player so that you could invest four years in coaching this guy and developing him and making him the player you always thought he could be. So you could say, all right, bye, we're going to let somebody else reap the benefits of that. Right. So to me, John Grenard is number one. And I think they are going to sign John Grenard. If they don't, they damn well better freaking tag him. Uh, and then after that, Man, Saquon Barkley wants to come here. Maybe he's willing to take a couple of mil less. Maybe instead of $14 million, he's willing to take eleven. But, you know, why take less? If the Texans, in that regard, you don't have a lot of leverage. The way I'm, I'm looking at it right now. You don't have a lot of leverage. Like, take less for what? Like, you're a really like, good team. Your ass needs a running back. I feel like you do have leverage. How? Well, if you don't want to, you know, take my offer, well, maybe Josh Jacobs does. 
Oh, if you don't want to, well, well, maybe Tony Pollard does. Maybe Derrick Henry does. Maybe Austin Eckler does. There are going to be so many well, running backs on the market, yeah. and none of them are getting tagged, right? That there is, it, it's, it's not Saquon or Bust. I mean, look, I'd love it to be Saquon, but it's not Saquon or Bust. You're going to have 10 running backs on the market who are starters who are all free agents. Here's the thing, though, real quick. Only one running back since 2021 has signed a long-term deal and made more than $10 million a year, and that happened last offseason. Jonathan Taylor. Now you've got guys like Austin Eckler, uh, Derrick Henry to a lesser degree, but he's a top-tier running back, you know, still looked upon as that by many. Obviously, we're talking about Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs and, you know, maybe their A.J. Dillon approaches something like that. Maybe a, a Swift approaches something like that. I don't know. But there's probably more money to be made if you're a running back in free agency this offseason than there had been in the last two, three, four offseasons. And so I'm thinking about it like, while the Texans need a running back, if you're one of those top-tier running backs, then you can almost kind of set your price. I mean, the price is automatically going to go up for all of them because they're all available, and there's a lot of teams that want those guys, but there's few teams that need those guys to literally take the next step. And there's few teams that have the heir apparent QB1 who looks like an absolute megastar with a team on the rise that everybody wants to play with. You know what? If you're Saquon and you come to the Texans, you know how many endorsement deals are going to be for him? You talk about a guy who's photogenic, has a personality, camera loves him. Saquon Barkley. Yeah. 713-572-4610. What do you guys think? 713-572-4610. What does the running back market look like? What should the Texans do? Let us hear from you. Are you Barkley or bust? That's next. Area 45 Sports Radio 